0: Guys, I'm bringing the party to you. Of the people in this room, which one is A, wearing a spangly outfit, and B, not a fuse?
1: Sir, please put down the spear.
0: Yeah, big man in a suit of armor. Take that off, what are you? Genius, billionaire, playboy, philanthropist. Well,
1: let me know if real power wants a magazine or something.
0: Batman is playing Galaga. Thought we wouldn't notice, but we did. WW w- w- Radio, your
2: information station. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World Information Station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 517. I'm here once again, not only to help you have the best possible experience when you go to the Disney parks, but I also want to bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are, not just with the podcast, but with my videos, blog, live broadcasts on Facebook every Wednesday night, books, audio tours, special events, and more. You can find everything over at www.radio.com. So the upcoming release of Marvel's Avengers Infinity War is not just an important film and milestone in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but it's one that might also affect the Disney parks as well. This week, I've assembled some of Earth's, and the WW Radio Nation's mightiest heroes to count down to Infinity War. We'll discuss all the films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe in order, and share our top five MCU films. We'll also look at what we expect from Infinity War, spoiler free, And give you a primer on what we know, what we think we know, the cast, characters, and maybe even what we think might be coming to the Disney parks in the not-so-infinite future. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week. And I'll pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned to the end of the show. I'll have more information about upcoming events, beats of the month, your voicemails, and more. So sit back... Relax and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. In recent years, Disney has grown beyond the parks and the films and the entertainment created by and through Walt Disney. And over time, Disney has grown to include Pixar, Muppets, Star Wars, soon-to-be Fox, and of course, Marvel. They've pretty much embraced my entire childhood. In fact, Disney has been acquiring, enveloping, and really embracing these properties, much as one would collect Infinity Stones in a gauntlet, you could say. And of course, that leads us to today, where we, as Disney and Marvel enthusiasts, are counting down the days, and for today's purposes, the movies, to Avengers Infinity War and what's to come afterwards. Not just in the movies, but maybe in the Disney parks as well. So this week, I, like a two-eyed Nick Fury, am looking to assemble some of Earth's and the WW Radio Nation's mightiest heroes to count down to Avengers Infinity War and invite you my friend, True Believer, to sit with us and join us as well. And together, we're going to discuss all the films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe leading up to Infinity War in order, as well as what we know, what we think we know, the characters, our top five-ish movies in the MCU, and maybe, just maybe what we think might be coming to the Disney parks in the not-so-infinite future. So I would like to welcome some fellow Avengers, some first-timers to the show, some repeat visitors as well. Corey Bassett, uh, it is great to see you once again. Your Infinity Gauntlet literally in hand. Hey, everybody. I, too. I, too, am am wielding my Infinity Gauntlet in... (laughs) (laughs) And I think everybody else is a first-timer, so in no particular order, I want to welcome Stuart Boyles. Nice to, nice to be here today, Lou. Ray Keating.
3: Lou, I could check it off my bucket list.
1: I'm a guest on your show. This is
2: great. <laughs> I have been a guest on your show, so, so Turnabout is fair play. And Jesse McCullough, it's good to see you again.
4: Good to see you, Lou, and I would have to agree. This uh, this becomes the highlight of the day pretty quick.
2: You've clearly had a very boring <laughs> <this> Sunday <laughs> afternoon. So uh, before we get into uh, uh, talking about the films and our excitement for Infinity War, and we're doing this via video so I can see a lot of you guys in your backgrounds, you know, in your physical backgrounds, where you are, as well as your personal backgrounds, have been uh marvel enthusiasts and and comic book enthusiasts so give me a little bit of a personal bio in terms of you know your love and interest you know when it started with marvel are you a comic book nerd are you a cinematic universe nerd give me you and your your love of marvel and what sort of brought you to this place and today on the show we'll sort of go in that same order so Corey.
5: Uh, so I watched uh, the very first Iron Man. Um, Iron Man was always one of my favorites. I had two main comic book series when I was growing up, uh, the Silver Surfer series, and I had the um, paperback Iron Man 2020. So that's really where I started. And I just watched, um, you know, the MCU movies as they came out, um, one after the other, good or bad. Uh, that kind of brought me to where I am today. And I blame mainly Lou and the, the Star Wars to get me into the Marvel side as well, because, <laughs> You can't really be a full geekdom side if you're not including Marvel as well.
2: It's a and it's a good time to be a geek. It's, it's, it's a uh, great time. A, the geek is the new black, really. <laughs> like years ago we were getting we would get beaten up for being comic book nerds and now all of a sudden it's uh, we're we're being embraced. So Stuart, what about you?
3: I uh I was not a comic book nerd growing up. I was a movie nerd. And so when I um when these movies started coming out I'd see them occasionally and then I really got into them as they've progressed so much so that I uh, contacted one of my favorite podcasts begged them to be a guest host (laughs) and now I'm a regular co-host on that podcast that's the welcome to level seven podcast so um, look that up put that in your (laughs) podcast we
4: review all the MCU movies all the time so
2: nice Jesse what about you
4: well I'll tell you i go back quite a way um when i was in second grade which was a long time ago my old man bought a comic book collection from the art teacher in the elementary school and he had all the old marvels back to fantastic four number 10 and uh as a however old i was then seven eight years old i was able to leaf through those so i've been a comic book fan since the spring of 1984 and uh as as all true Marvel people know, uh we remember our first Marvel comic and I can tell you that it was A Team number one, uh, from March of eighty <laughs> four. Um and I can also tell you that the first like mainstream uh Marvel comic I got was Fantastic Four two Sixty Six, uh, which from a timeline perspective that would have been about the time of the original Secret War series. So that's Quite a while now.
2: Wow. The man knows, uh, not only do you know your college, you know, it's like your first girlfriend. Like you were able to recite exactly (laughs) when and where you went in the movie and how she broke up with you, but you remember exactly (laughs) the issues too. Ray, what about you? Uh,
1: Little Ray Keating, nine, 10 years old. You pedal up to 7 Eleven on Long Island and uh, the spin rack. I'm that old. Um, And I would always look for Captain America and the Avengers. Those were my big two. And that's where I started and kept reading. I won't tell you what year that was, but I kept reading into the 80s and then uh, took a break. And then when I had my own kids, I had an excuse to get back into it. And I've been reading back into comics ever since. And I love the movies, love the Marvel Cinematic Universe.
2: Nice. So for me, um, I go back and I'm probably, I don't know, Ray, you and I are probably the the oldest guys in the... one of my very first comics I actually bought. My parents had an antique business and at an antique booth in a flea market. We did an estate sale, and we went up to it um, we went into this woman's house, and in her attic, she had this old hardbound uh, comic strip book called Mutt and Jeff, and I and I had Mutt and Jeff like number one of this thing, and I realized that there was this whole world. But I had been a, a comic book kid i wasn't allowed to ride my bike down to belvedere avenue and go to the belvedere variety store but i can see the magazine rack on the left wall and ray like you the spinning rack of comics and i was always a spider-man guy i've been a spider-man kid since as far back as i can remember i don't remember my first date with spider-man unlike jesse but (laughs) i still have and i gave to my brother who became the the big comic book collector. I gave him, you know, hundreds of hundreds of of Spider-Man comics and now I'm sort of coming full circle, you know, going back and, you know, taking my son to comic book stores and comic book conventions, like that's the thing that we do together. Yeah. And I'm picking up old issues that I remember that I had as a kid. I just I actually I have one sitting right over there and I'm like, I remember reading this and I love going through now and there's something about the feel and the smell of a comic book and those old ads, like if you were getting sand kicked in your face for a dollar, you could be huge and x-ray glasses and all these different things. Um, And some of these books that I had as a kid. And I remember growing up, um, not just loving sort of this, this escape and this, and I have, and I related very much and we can talk more about this too, in terms of our favorite character. I related and still relate very much to Peter Parker. Um, he was the nerdy kid. He wasn't a jock. He didn't have a lot of friends. You know, I, I, I hope that I was and still was a person of integrity. And you know, I didn't have great power or great responsibility, but I believe in that tenant very very dearly. Um, but there was there, there was still something that that resonates with me um, in terms of not just Spider Man, the superhero, but but Peter Parker. The kid, um, and I remember growing up watching the oh so very bad amazing Spider Man TV. I remember seeing Spidey super stories on The Electric Company. <laughs> wow. I, I know I'm really, That's really awesome. old, and um, I still remember watching on Saturday. I'm gonna get choked up. I remember watching on Saturday mornings a cartoon, a series that I loved back then, I still love now and it was the Spider-Man animated television series that originally debuted back in 67. Obviously, I was born in 68, so I watched reruns in syndication all three seasons and the Spider-Man theme song and J. Jonah Jameson and Peter's character and that raw, hand-drawn animation and those classic Spider-Man villains from the comic books like Mysterio, and I love, I still love, the Green Goblin and the Lizard and the Vulture. And I can still see Peter Parker in his blue suit with his yellow vest and white shirt and red tie. It was a the, the Steve D- Ditko design. I still have that classic theme song on my phone and obviously playing over and over in my head. And I've watched some of those uh, original shows on videos, and you can still get some of them on YouTube. And do they? Does the animation hold up? Of course not. But that was just so much uh, a an important part of my childhood sort of growing up because I love that character. I loved that show so, so very much. And my office is still decorated, adorned, whatever you want to call it with, you know, original Spider-Man comic books and covers and posters and Funko pops and artwork. And still one of the, the most wonderful things that has ever happened to me as a result of this show and this incredible journey that you allow me to be on was, uh, a letterer from Marvel knowing my love of Spider-Man and being a listener to the show actually wrote me I'm gonna get choked up again like <clears throat> wrote me in to Spider-Man 700 spoiler alert the death of Peter Parker which you know god forbid there's a fire in my office we just think about that one you know once your family's out what's that one thing you're gonna grab my my Spider-Man 700 that's signed by Stan Lee because another listener who's a friend saw he was coming to a comic book convention relatively near, a couple hours away from his house. He stood online for four hours to get Stan Lee to sign it for me. Like like both of those gestures, the, the obviously writing me into a Spider-Man comic book and that other person spending so much time and effort and then bringing it to me you know in Walt Disney World means so much to me because of how important the comic books and, and Spider-Man was to me as a kid. And by kid, I mean, you know, a 49-year-old adult. Oh, how I loved um, The Incredible Hulk with the late Bill Bixby. He did was not just Eddie's father from the courtship of, but he was also a, a somewhat misnamed. Um, he was David Banner. Sorry, Bruce, or, he was David Banner instead of Bruce Banner, but I loved Lou Ferrigno in The Incredible Hulk and watching him on CBS on Saturday nights or Sunday nights. So clearly, that very long explanation will tell you Speaks volumes as to why I didn't date very much growing up (laughs) because I was doing uh, all those different things that was not necessarily endearing me to um, the fair sex. But that's okay because it's all come back around. Because um, many, many years ago, and I can't believe it's been a decade and 18 films that. The Marvel Cinematic Universe has been brought to the big screen, and and I want to sort of almost qualify it in terms of saying, the Marvel characters and the Marvel stories um, have been brought to life and done the right way. Um, there, have, <laughs> there has has not been a shortage of superhero movies. Some have not necessarily been as awesome as we would like them to be. And I think as we talk um, going forward um, about what is to come in the future, maybe we'll see some of those movies done right. Um, but maybe with the way the way we should sort of, of talk about um, counting down to Infinity War is to start off by helping people prep by going through the Marvel Cinematic Universe In order of release, not necessarily the order of the the chronological order in terms of story, but in the order of release, we can briefly recap and maybe how they're going to impact and affect the universe and Infinity War and sort of this Infinity War primer. Um, So I think let's start at the very beginning. You know, let's go back to 2008 and Iron Man when and we can maybe talk touch on this for a second you know this was a very interesting time in terms of marvel itself you know this was not a company that was always very very strong they were on the verge of bankruptcy many many times which is part of the reason why so many of these characters were um sold or rented or licensed to these other studios which was a way for for Marvel to sort of stay afloat. So maybe touch on that a little bit. You know, the the, the pre Marvel Cinematic Universe. What did did it look like in terms of these characters on screen? Well, you had Spider Man and the um the the not Toby so amaz- the, the night the not so amazing Spider Man. Yeah, the, 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 yeah they're not so amazing
3: Spider-Man and the Sam Raimi films Those were really good if you remember those Those were really well
2: done the third one Aside right it's um, like the Godfather One and two are awesome we don't talk about three And the that um, <laughs> It's amazing How many trilogies
3: that applies to And how many it doesn't uh, So but yeah uh, the, the Sam Raimi Films were, were very good And very they still hold up Really well uh, but I think that was the first Time you could really see okay, it doesn't have to be this weird sort of cartoony uh, thing on the screen. It can actually be a real life, you know, people with real life problems. Yeah.
1: And the X-Men movies as well. I mean, uh, you know, when you think back, uh, you know, both of those out of the shoot, I thought were pretty good. And that was, that was that leap forward in terms of, you know, all of us waiting to see, Good comic book movies you know and it's something to live up to what we saw on the pages of the comic books and all of a sudden technology caught up right to our imaginations and those are the ones coming out of the shooting i still love those movies today both both the spider-man and, and the x-men ones
5: yeah that first spider-man for me was uh yeah taking the the cartoony version of of uh um yeah character like that and, and putting it into a more dramatic scene whether they have real stakes real real actual values uh that was something that stuck with me a lot and i mean that's probably the only spider-man film that uh, outside of homecoming now but uh, growing up that's the only one i ever watched Just it hit home it, it, it did it for me
4: yeah i would chime in that i think that it was the x-men movie that made me realize that this can be done and it can be done well um, the characters may be a little different than what I had expected. And I think that proved true over the course of the X-Men franchise. But when it comes down to it, you were able to see that they were able now to translate things that previously we were only able to see in our imagination into something that we can see on the screen. And I think that's that that's really when, uh, you know, I think it made all of us true believers, if you will, because prior to that, there were some, uh, you know, there were some made for TV movies or direct video uh, movies that were out there. Um, we can go back. I don't know if you want to go into the Hasselhoff, uh, Nick Fury area or, or not. But, uh, um, you know, but I, I think at that point, that's what, you know, turned the corner. And then whenever you come to 2008 and Iron Man, um, now you can have something with with quite a blueprint behind it.
2: You know, I'm really surprised and a little disappointed that none of you mentioned Howard the Duck from 1986 because really when you talk about the pinnacle of the Marvel Universe, um, you know, but look, you know, we we sort of laugh at that. um, But, you know, it was a Lucasfilm movie. Like, we expected it almost to be great, and it was not. um, But out of that, we got a lot of great stuff. The, the,
3: the, The Howard the Duck model... I mean, yeah, he's goofy or whatever, but that's a really well done model. <laughs> it's a really well done character.
2: And and look, I'm I'm sure. And look, I, you know, when we first saw Howard the Duck um, in the in the with the collector, you know, I think a lot of us sort of internally or outwardly cheered. But uh, you know, the Fantastic Four just they can't seem to get it right, no matter how many times they try. I was not a fan of the Daredevil or the the Fox version of um sorry the universal version of um the Hulk or Punisher. I think the I think the Blade series was the best of the pre-Marvel Cinematic Universe films um because I think Wesley Snipes I mean he very much was the Blade character and I know he actually tried to have a Black Panther movie. He wanted to be Black Panther. Um <laughs> but I think he was so far into um being associated with the Blade character but it comes up to 2008 and you know I almost imagine that this was very much a hey let's just give this a shot and see what we can do and see if we can make these movies right and you know all the credit in the world in my opinion goes to Kevin Feige for his vision not just in terms of the casting of the film and, and we'll talk a little bit about you know the importance of casting, but um, how I think John Favreau—you know—he was the guy from Rudy, and he, you know, he was so. And all of a sudden, he, I think, because they are comic book fans and nerds, knew how to translate these stories off the page and onto the screen. And when we talk about things like, all right, so let's sort of quickly talk about casting and the importance of it. You guys mentioned Tobey Maguire, and you. I think Toby Maguire was a great Peter Parker and he was an awful Spider-Man. The same way I think that, that Andrew Garfield was a horrific Peter Parker, but he was great in the costume because I think everybody that we're going to talk about tonight, they're really, all these actors have to play two roles. They are playing the, 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 the you know the human persona and they have to play the superhero. And Robert Downey Jr. was the perfect Tony Stark. Because all the things oh, yeah. that Tony Stark was going through with, you know, <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. went through as well. And, and I think he translated that perfectly. So so give me some of your thoughts on, uh, you know, Iron Man, the 2008 Iron Man, your impressions of it then and sort of how you think it fits into the MCU now.
1: Um, I'll take a my, my initial re- thought as I was thinking about this today was when you look back, it's easy to miss how risky this was. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we've got the experience. They've succeeded. They're doing great. But think about what they were doing in 2008. They were t- taking Robert Downey Jr. That was a roll <laughs> of the dice. They imagined that they were going to create this entire, you know, cinematic universe to some degree at that point that was never done before. And, you know, quite frankly, I know somebody said they're an Iron Man fan, but you know, I can remember in 2008, I was like, you're coming out of the shoe with Iron Man. Yeah. You know, at that time it was kind of like Iron Man <laughs> and now it's, you know, Iron Man. Yeah, you dope. Why would you ever question that, right? <laughs> so, it's it's a it's a salute to to Marvel for for figuring this out and and taking the risk and, and going out there. And they made a wonderful, you know, that to me, that's the best Iron Man film still.
5: Mm-hmm. It, it, and they did that right because they didn't just start with we're going to make this entire franchise of ten years of movies and get you to uh, Infinity War. They made one good film. They did it the right way with the right people. And then they added that little kicker of we're going to keep going with this. And that's what they did is they kept building on the very first success. And yeah, uh, Happy Hogan did a great job.
2: (laughs) Well, I think they set the bar very high right off the bat because everything just sort of meshed well. Look, you know, Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark. I I think he is the actor that's probably most like his except save for one, and and I'll get to that, because he's charming, but he's kind of a jerk. But you still like him anyway. Um And the other thing that it had too, which some of the films that followed didn't necessarily have, including things like Iron Man Two, was a really strong villain. Yeah,
1: yeah, I would, it, I would agree with that. Yeah, Obadiah Obadiah Stain was fantastic. I thought
3: the other thing that it had, and this I think eclipses all of the character and all of the, all that stuff, John Favreau, Kevin Feige, Brian Singer, Sam Raimi, they're all fans. They're all big, huge comic book nerd fans. And they know that they can pull these stories out of these books. And so when they come back to, when there's a problem with it, how do we do this? How do we solve that? You get Kevin Feige coming in and saying, look, it's just, it's all right there. We've just got to figure out how to get it out. And so that's why I think, really set the bar for um the iron man film in 2008 and then also they'd already done all not all of it but the ultimate universe has right there in the ultimates one panel at the very bottom of the page is sam jackson looking like nick fury it's <laughs> it's it is so him you cannot look at it and not see it um and so they did a lot of like pre-production work. You know, a lot of, a lot of times movies will, you know, storyboard everything. And that's exactly what they did with the ultimates. They don't necessarily follow exactly down the line, but they worked on a lot of concepts that they could eventually bring to the screen. And they did that ahead of time, not after the fact
2: Batman. Right. And I think that's what, one thing that they do well is it is not necessarily a panel for panel retelling of the comic book story they ad- adapt and adjust as needed to bring these stories to screen in a way that makes it work in that medium. But the problem with starting out so big with Iron Man and all of a sudden you now have this um, new generation, you have this generation of comic book fans that's excited to see it being done and being done well. But you set the bar so high and just a few months after, Iron Man comes out um in you know that that early beginning of the summer season you follow up with the incredible hulk which mm-hmm. arguably may not be and we'll you know spoiler alert this may not be on the top of everybody's MCU list but this was I, I think Marvel's way of saying you know the the 2003 Ang Lee version we need to we need to reboot this because we need to bring this character into our world and try and do it the the right way and sort of get this you know get the origin story out of the way pretty early and then tell the story uh of this character with with a new actor i never personally sort of felt edward norton as you know doc bruce banner belted by gamma rays turning into the hulk um the the village the villain and sort of uh tim ross abomination um you know to, to maybe its benefit or detriment was a little cartoony up on screen. But so, give me your thoughts on two thousand eight's Incredible Hulk.
4: Can I take a swing at that first, Lou? Because I think what what I in retrospect is so good about that movie. And granted, I'm not going to tell you it's in my top five. <laughs> uh, I may not even tell you it's in my top ten. Uh, it's in, definitely in your deep top, deep,
2: 18, it's in my in top eighteen, without a doubt. It's,
4: it's, it's, it's going <laughs> to depend on the rounding at that point. Um, but. I, I think what you get is, is you get the overarching theme of searching for the super soldier. And, and, and that element is really, really key for that um, as, as, as you go through in developing the Hulk and developing the, the abomination. Um, you know, it, it establishes a, a story element that will be continued um, because we're trying to find the next Captain America, right? We don't see that necessarily at, at first, but it's something that uh, sort of gets uh, unpacked with that.
3: From a production standpoint, I think that they kind of knew that they needed um, the Avengers to happen sooner or later. And they. I feel like uh, the Incredible Hulk is a proof of concept to make sure that the Hulk green monster guy can actually be on screen and not look dumb. And I think if you look back at the Ang Lee Hulk, one of the criticisms – now, I love that movie. I personally think that's a great movie but it's not a comic book movie. (laughs) So that's a difference. But if you look at it, part of the problem is the, the Hulk, the big green monster looks kind of cartoony. Mm -hmm. And so if you, one of the things that really stepped out to me when I was doing my rewatch this year, coming up to infinity war um, was that the incredible Hulk with Edward Norton actually looks really good story not so much but the Hulk itself the model looks really good
2: and I think that's what this movie is it's very much more of an action movie as opposed to mm-hmm. the let's tell the Jekyll and Hyde story one more time um, but it was a way for them to you know, look they, they knew where they were going and maybe sort of get some of those things done and out of the way before we get to 2010 and Iron Man 2 um, it's
1: <laughs> my 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 quick thought on on uh, on Hulk and, and he's not a character that I've enjoyed over the years, but it's one of those movies where it's like Mission Impossible two. I always say to myself that movie couldn't have been that bad. I'm going to go back and rewatch it, and then I still don't like it. So now I'm in. Somebody <laughs> mentioned rewatching this movie that's what i have to do because i haven't watched it in a long time i know i didn't like it at the time but i'm going to go back and rewatch it and see what see what's there so that's all i can add
3: (laughs) for what it's worth i love mission
5: impossible too (laughs)
1: do you really Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) every other one is great
3: except that
5: (laughs) and i think the issue of incredible hulk is that you you have like is a first time viewing you have to compare it to what exists before and that's iron man because it's not necessarily on the same level as the Iron Man that came before it you you start kind of knocking it down that list uh, I'll tell you I've gone back and watched it a couple times now I think the only real flaw the movie has is kind of a trend for Marvel films is that the villain is the antithesis of the main character and so you have the opposites going at each other and that, that's the same problem that you have throughout the universe but it, it's not that bad of a movie if you go watch it again but uh, it's certainly not my top five <laughs>
2: Uh, another movie again that, that may or may not be in your top five, <clears throat> and a movie that I, I've watched over and over again, and and every time I sort of walk away from it, I I come out feeling differently. Sometimes I just enjoy it for it being a popcorn movie. Sometimes I I don't like it as much. Uh, Iron Man two, again the the first of the the sequels, still is a is a John Favreau film, but the thing that I think was was. I don't want to say a mistake, but that I felt was lost in this was Iron Man was such a, a deep character driven story in Iron Man two. There's, there's a lot going on and it really wasn't necessarily about Tony Stark. It was about the family history. It was Ivan Vanko. Um, I, I loved, um, and my God, I, his name just escaped me. Um, Justin Hammer. Um, gosh, why is his name just, just popping out of my head? Um, the actor who played Justin Hammer, I'll come back to it. I thought he was phenomenal, but there was there was a lot there was a lot going on all at the same time um, in this film, and it was very much a showcase of special effects and technology. We loved getting introduced to Black Widow, which was one of my favorite parts of the film. But there was a lot of different things going on as opposed to a single strand of a storyline that was being held together by each of those individual elements, if that makes any sense. Uh,
1: I would, I would certainly agree. I I think your term popcorn for that hits. um, And, uh, and it, it's not certainly the first movie, but uh, it's not, you know, in my bottom five. And um, I I, I do like the fact you mentioned Black Widow, uh, one of my favorite characters in this whole MCU. So I, I do like the fact that we, we meet her in that movie
2: and it was Sam Rockwell uh, who I love I love and I just don't know why he his name um jumped out of my head but he wasn't you know like was the villain uh was the villain Justin Hammer was the villain Ivan Vanko like Obadiah Stane was the villain like you had somebody but here there was just a lot of of different things all happening at once it was it was a fun entertaining movie and I love sort of that final you know battle scene but in terms of story and and advancing maybe the character of um Tony Stark was not necessarily my favorite.
3: So I have a question for you Lou. This is something that we talked about a whole bunch on the on the other show. Um did you catch any of the Disney references? So Howard Stark that's Uncle Walt in your <laughs> living room. That is absolutely Uncle Walt in your living room. And 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 you know there was the end song was written by I I think it was a Sherman brother or mm-hmm. at least somebody who had ties to the Sherman brothers. You know that Disney is permeated through that whole movie so much, and and it's hard to for me. That's why I really like that movie is because I get to see some of that stuff coming out.
2: Yeah, so um, a year later, we get the introduction of Thor, um, a Kenneth Branagh film um, who I think takes this um, um, adventurous origin story and um, I, I think really does a great job of, again, like Iron Man, Thor was not necessarily... You know, when you think of Marvel comics and Marvel superheroes, Thor doesn't necessarily jump to the top of a lot of non-comic book fans' mind as being, you know, the, um, uh, uh, you know, the the first superhero that that comes to mind. So, give me your thoughts on Thor, especially in terms of how it compares to the other origin story we had in terms of Iron Man.
1: Well, I'll I'll step up on the first. I loved Branagh as the director here. Um, you just, I, I you know, I loved his previous films. I love his Shakespeare films. So there was a there was a Branagh quality to this. I thought he did it very well, and I thought the story was was quite good. I mean, I know my, my sons diss the Thor movies, <laughs> but I love the first one, and it simply because of the journey of the character. I mean, that, that's that's a just a wonderful, of all things, it's a wonderful character movie. Um, and I, that's why I love it.
2: You know, I think from a casting perspective, there's a couple of interesting things. Look to be able to pull in Anthony Hopkins as Odin. Clearly, you know, what they had done with the first 3 films to to bring in a character to bring in an actor of of that status speaks volumes. It was interesting and you can go back and see videos of this online. Um obviously, we all love the character of Loki um I know some people like the actor who portrays Loki uh, a lot for a lot of different reasons. But he actually originally was cast and screen tested as Thor before they hired Chris Hemsworth. And now seeing him do that um, is so very off-putting, like because he is so, you know, you talk about villains that you love to hate. um, Loki very quickly established himself as a this this was not just a tentpole picture but locally established himself as a tentpole character and villain
1: and his story is interesting right he's not a, he's not a it's not a cartoony character it, there's a fascinating backstory there and why he did what he did so it's good i think it's good stuff on both with both key
4: characters yeah. i appreciate
3: I appreciated, oh, I'm sorry, I appreciated the uh, introduction of Coulson as well as Hawkeye in this one.
2: You know, it, yeah, it's I, interesting, I, the, the vision of being able to set up what they knew was going to be coming so far down was, was very brilliantly done.
4: Yeah, I, I just like the expansion that you have with, with these stories. Of course, uh, you know, I think the, well, at least from my perspective, the traditional story of Thor is that he needed to, uh, uh, to, to learn that humility and and Odin cursed them and sent them to earth and he became a crippled doctor, right? He had to learn how to help people um, slightly different story here, but uh, just that, that character journey, but then also just the expansion to be able to see that, Oh, this is what, uh, uh, this is what Asgard looks like. These are, these are Hawkeye, the, the, you know, to get the expansion with Coulson. Um, those were all, I think, very, very key things uh, that just, after we got through the first couple of movies we knew that we were going to see some type of serial and and to me that's that's what would always separated the marvel comics is that there was some continuity that went longitudinally through them and you know as we started getting into it um at least from my perspective uh you know i, I went into it not expecting uh to have everything with a t- nice tight bow on it at the end of it but to get the the extension what's what's the next step where is it going to go from and i thought that the, that movie did a nice job of expanding in a couple of different directions yeah. you
2: know and and what the, the film that was to follow just a few months later that summer in july the Joe Johnson film, Captain America, The First Avenger, we talked about the importance of casting. You want to, and look, and Chris Evans originally turned down the role um, of Captain America. He almost had to sort of be convinced to take it. Again, having come from being Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, and the (laughs) not-so-very-awesome, fantastic role. Look, I wanted to love that movie, you know, for a lot of different reasons. I, I loved the characters, I loved... The story, but um, he was probably one of the the, um, the the shining lights of that film. But you talk about the the um, the benefit of casting the right actor to play a role. Look, Captain America was a, a a character in a story very much rooted in you know the time that he was created. You know that this sort of um, anti-Nazi, you know, World War II era. Some people might say, well, he's he's not necessarily the most exciting character in the world. But Chris Evans, again, Chris Evans being uh, Captain America and Chris Evans being that that kid from Brooklyn uh, is what made this film. And this film, I will tell you, spoiler alert, is very, very high on my list of favorite movies. Absolutely. This
3: is this is one of my favorite. I love Joe Johnson. I mean, Rocketeer is a great great movie and i love his style of things um and they could not have gotten a better person for him for that movie
1: this was the movie that i waited my entire life for okay (laughs) (laughs) this was it and they did it right and i doubted when they picked chris evans because um because he was the human torch (laughs) i doubted that i was like what are they doing and it was perfect perfect casting the movie is, you know, spoiler alert. It's in my top five. I love the look of it, the feel of it, the World War II period. And yes, I love the Red Skull and uh, and Agent Carter. And anybody that says Captain America is an exciting Lou, you send them my way.
4: <laughs> no, that, and I'll be was, right there with you. <laughs> yeah, to me, that was that was that set the bar at that point. Um, that that was easily my of, of these first five, that's my number one of the first five. Uh, and it's it's for those reasons. But also just consider the technology because you were able to see uh, Steve Rogers go from that scrawny kid from Brooklyn into the super soldier, you, you know, and I, I think, uh, Ray, I, I, know you're the big cap fan here on this call. Uh, but, uh, I don't know if you ever saw the, the direct to video Captain America film from the early nineties. Oh, yes. Unfortunately. Yes. That's, that, that's what I had. I, you know, I, I, I won't admit to any, anything that I did with that film, but the, uh, <laughs> uh the, 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 the fact of the matter is, is that that, that was a, a comparison and, and you were able to find this kid that, you were able to see just the character of uh, the character of the character, if you will. Um, and, and that's what really rung true to me. And then there were tons of Easter eggs in there. You had the original human torch in the background at the, um, uh, at, at, at the fair before they went off. Of course you have Bucky, um, you know, and you establish that relationship. Um, you know, Cap was second fiddle to Bucky, you know, prior to the, to that transformation. Isn't that wonderful that
1: so, they did that, right? They did. Yeah. Yeah.
4: yeah. It's just, it, you know, it was really tremendous.
1: You know, I remember and, and for me that, that straight to video movie doesn't exist in my mind. I go from the, <laughs> ni- I go from the 1960s cartoon, you know, that, remember oh, that? And then right, I go was- to this. So
4: there you go. <laughs> yeah. If, 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 if you want the video, I'll send it to you. <laughs> all right, fair enough.
2: <laughs> you know, I remember before this movie came out, um, the original, um, the original, uh, writer of the script um they had they did a rewrite uh, of it and when usually when you hear rewrite that's that's a not a red skull it's a red flag to start getting a little bit nervous um but it, it worked and I think one of the things that I loved about this film is not just Haley Atwell and if you're listening call me but <laughs> um you know it there's it's he's you, you love this character. And I don't mean the character of Captain America. You love the character of Steve R- Rogers. Um, you know, you love... Th- th- there's a lot of um, emotion and sensitivity in terms of this being such a, a strong character-driven film. And like Peter Parker, you know, I, I, I and I'm drinking out of my Captain America service, as you can see, <laughs> I, I love this character because I loved what he stood for. You know, I loved... His integrity and a lot of what we see that is the the hallmark of Steve Rogers in this film is interesting as we go on to things like Civil War, how this I will follow orders wherever they will take me, how he develops as a character later on and that that shift from becoming the not just a super soldier, but the perfect soldier that will follow orders changes as we we move farther along and eventually to where we are now with um, coming up with Infinity War. But again, casting is key. You know, Tommy Lee Jones as Colonel Phillips, Hugo Weaving um, as, as Red Skull, I thought was awesome. And again, you know, other sort of secondary characters that start to um, make their presence felt in some additional films um, was just so, so well done. And again, like you guys, I loved this, the fact that it's such a a period piece too.
1: And one of the things about the Captain America character, you know, when I was a kid, it wasn't, you know, I could identify as a fellow teenager or something like that. It was something you aspired to you saw these these uh you know courage and honor and all those things that you hope that one day you could you could you know at least uh somehow or another approach that and that was very old-timey comic books and what they beautiful and what they did was you know they they updated it in this film and it was just one done wonderfully i mean that could have been you know, a very corny fall on your face type of movie. And it it wasn't at all. And one thing on Haley, uh, Haley Atwell and and Agent Carter, you know, I don't know if we're going to get to it later. So I'm going to plug it real quick. Those two seasons, Agent Carter, Mm -hmm. one of my favorite television shows, and the fact that we only got two seasons is a shame. But you know what, the way it works, those two seasons, it's a wonderful capsule. Go out, get the DVDs or get it digitally and just sit down and watch those two seasons. My wife and I did that recently, and it's thoroughly enjoyable. It's good stuff. And there's Very the one good. shot. There's the,
2: the Iron Man 3 DVD has the one shot of Agent yes. Carter, too.
3: Yes. Absolutely. Agent Carter, I think, is one of the most under you. Well, she's used a whole lot. I just want more of her, <laughs> you know. <laughs>
2: Not in a for, creepy for, way. We mean this in the most affectionate way. Creepy in way. No, 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 no. <laughs> not creepy. No, I want more Agent Carter on screen.
3: There, that's the difference. Uh, to me, Cap is all about integrity, and and that's permeated all the way through. Um, I even through the trailer for Infinity War. You know,
5: right? Yeah, Steve Rogers. He his whole um, kind of point is that he'll fight for what he believes is right, and then you know he'll get knocked down all the time, and he'll never. he'll never quit he'll always keep on coming he'll tell you i can do this all day anytime he faces a challenge he will tell you i will do this i can do this all day so just keep throwing him at me but you know that's just one of the just on my top five too
2: captain america very very high um although the next film that we got in 2012 um is probably higher on my list. And we didn't realize that probably at the time that this was going to sort of round out what is affectionately known as phase one of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But Marvel's Avengers in 2012, we could spend more than a, a, a single show talking about it. And again, same thing happens. Uh, Zach Penn was originally brought in to write the script back in 2007. Three years later... um, a little little fellow by the name of Joss Whedon is brought in to um, to rewrite the script and and look, I, I loved um, I, I love Joss Whedon, I love what he did um, with with some of his other stuff. I was a huge Firefly fl- Firefly fan. Say that three times fast. So I originally you know easily bought into who they were going to entrust this to, and you know. Look, the the numbers clearly speak for itself in terms of, you know, the one and a half billion dollars that it brought in. But Avengers is, man, when you look at the overall Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, it's hard not to say this might be as close to the perfect superhero, you know, team up action film um, that we have anywhere in the list.
4: I would say it definitely delivered at that point, Lou. I I mean, we've been treated to different uh, superhero team ups in a number of different media over the course of the uh, of the years, be it through comics, through cartoons, whatever it turns out to be. And when you got to this, um, you, you ended up seeing these these people, they just didn't get together and they're all chummy chummy, right? They, they had to get together. They had to work through some things. Um, it just, it, it continues this whole theme that we have seen, uh, which is just that they're real people, the real people first and foremost, and then they have to do something else. And then, you know, added to that, you, you have a, likable or or uh valid villain with loki and then obviously the Chitari and whoever else uh and and teasing thanos I, I mean all those things that you had at the end of avengers one that uh that was that was scooping up the ice cream putting the whipped cream on <laughs> and some, somebody somebody found
2: the cherry and and again, I don't, don't need to comment on this, but if you look at the, the very end again when you meet Thanos and again to challenge them as to court death and what that means as we move forward is like I look back and I'm like, oh God, like if it was supposed to be a throwaway Easter egg or not, um, it was awesome. But, you know, again, and, and I give a lot of the credit for this film's success to Joss Whedon because it's not... And I don't mean this in a different like when I say popcorn movie, it's just fun. It Maybe this is not just a popcorn movie. The interactions between the heroes and the villains and the characters was very smart and very deliberate. And we current we came to not only learn about but love them. And we saw some of these the, the rapport be- between some of these characters, good, bad, or otherwise, Thor and Hulk, and and obviously uh, Cap and Black Widow as well as, uh, you know, um, uh, the roles of that, that Cap and Iron Man play in terms of, of leading the Avengers going forward uh, was just done so, so well. And again, we talk about the importance of casting characters. This was the importance of casting a good director.
3: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And, and it, you, you also see the interaction between the heroes and the people of New York City as well in a, in a very real way, in an mm-hmm. interesting way. And I have to say that there, there was... My favorite line from any superhero movie is in this film. Okay, if you remember, uh, they jump out of the Quinjet, Iron Man and Thor with with Loki, and Black Widow warns Cap, but she says they're basically gods, and she's telling him, "Don't." And his response is, and I'm going to read this. There's only one God, ma'am, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. And I love that line, and it fits perfectly for who Captain America is and where he came from. It's it's just great. So my and I still smile.
2: I'm with him, and I'm still smiling as you said that. I'm like, oh, I love that line. It's you know.
5: (laughs) I thought you were going with something my son likes to say: Hulk Smash.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I I mean, it's it's to me, it's as close to a perfect film in terms of the characters. The special effects, the interaction, the villain that you love to hate—again, that that introduction um, in, in this film uh, again to Loki and how he interacts with the others as well as them. This this you know accidental forced team coming together um, uh, really, does, and I think it's very much in terms of you know translating the comics to big screen was also um, was also well done, too. Um, okay, moving on, I want to move on because I know we have so much to get to. Um, phase two really begins in May of 2013 with Shane Black's Iron Man 3. And this is one that I have found from talking to people for some people, it's a love it or hated film. I have seen people rank it in their top five. I've seen people rank it in their bottom five. Um this one was, and again, for those of you who are, are comic book fans, you heard that Ben Kingsley is going to be in there. You hear that the mat, the 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 Mandarin is going to be in there. Um you know who the matter who the Mandarin is and who Trevor Slattery are. You know, are two very different people. Uh, and for those of you guys, maybe who, would, who are more familiar with the comics, this is not necessarily how the comic book story went in terms of the telling of the Mandarin story.
1: Definitely not.
5: <laughs> right. But I think that's what, that's what Marvel paid attention to is they said, okay, we've got, you know, we're going to make the bad villain bad. And then they took the ending of it or the, the twist of it. And they said, Oh, it's not him. And then, Spo- like a spoiler alert, but I think that was great because everyone goes into the movies going, oh, Ben Kingsley, this guy's going to be a great villain and then he turns out to be not so much. And, Trevor
3: uh, who likes soccer. But <laughs>
5: <laughs> well, that's what they did great, um, is that they took the expectation they knew what the fans were expecting to see, and they said, no, we can give you something different and entertaining, and they did that.
2: Well, because this, this, this is not an Iron Man that- movie. This is a Tony Stark movie. You right. know most of this movie is not him yes. in his armor it's him out of it.
3: In and fact very... at the end of this movie he complete Oh, go ahead
2: I was to say and it's a very good example. I was to say at the crime. end of this <laughs> all, <laughs> all right, all Stewart right. first and then Reagan. <laughs> all
3: right, at the end of this movie he completely dismantles all of Iron Man. He takes the thing out of his chest. I mean he he is putting away Iron Man away and that, part of that has to do with the arc that he had that Sort of culminated in um, him going up into space and detonating the bomb in the Avengers, right? So he comes back down to Earth, and he's scared. He, he's really scared that that he can't fix everything. Um, and then that, I think, first off, I think it should not be the beginning of Phase Two. I think it should be the coda of Phase Phase One. I think it's, it's placed wrong. Um, secondly, I think it informs all of his character arc. Up through and including Infinity War.
5: So I was going to say this this film does a very good example uh, is a very good example. I'm sorry of uh, two things. One of um, post traumatic stress disorder because that's exactly what Tony has going through um, post mm-hmm. uh, Avengers Infinity um, Avengers, and then it's also doing a great job exo- a great job of showing that the hero is vulnerable and he's not this perfect. You know, pedestal character, he has flaws, and those flaws become apparent later down the line, but yeah, this is a great film for that. But it is very much a Tony Stark film, mm-hmm. not necessarily Iron Man himself.
1: Okay, so I fall into the category of the group that just can't stand this movie.
5: <laughs> <laughs> what, what is it's, it for you? Is it, it The is, House Party?
1: It, it, <laughs> it's, number, it's number 18, by the way, on my list. Wow. So, <laughs> uh, wow. You know, yeah, once I got past the first half hour, I was like, okay, yeah. And then the rest of it was like, nope, can't do it. I just, it, it, the, uh, I'm sorry, I know people don't want to hear this, but the kid annoyed me. Tony Stark, who I love as a character for the rest of the movie, annoyed me. Pepper Potts, who I normally like, she annoyed me. It was just, there was nothing. I, I, I can't, I, and I've gone back and watched it. <laughs> I can't do it. I, I just can't.
5: So if this is number 18, I have to guess that the next one is number 17. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and and Ray, I will say that that in terms of the, the scene with the kid in the garage, I, I understood why it was there. I, I felt like you, you could have taken that out, but spoiler alert, um, I think that was left in there and put in there for a very deliberate purpose and not just to sort of help Tony get through what he was doing and sort of start his journey of mentorship, that he continues later on in, in places like civil war with another character that I also love very much. Um Don't be surprised if you don't see that kid again.
1: Well, that's unfortunate, but <laughs> 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 I, I don't, I don't disagree with the, the the idea and the concepts that you're talking about here. I just don't think it was very well done. So I didn't, I didn't find it interesting. So.
2: I, I Listen, it's not my favorite film. Um, the, the, the final battle scene is a, is a great, popcorny fun again it's not an iron it's you know it's robotic iron man you know going out and and seeing all the if you're an iron man fan seeing all the different suits there was really neat but it does lead to the alan taylor film thor the dark world which you you know are already starting to hint might not be in your um uh top five, ten. 17, 17, 17, um, <laughs> films, but uh, hey, this it makes my w- top
1: 15, if you get the point. It, yeah,
2: this, <laughs> this one is in my top 17 or 18. I think there were, um, I, I think there were opportunities that were unfortunately squandered here. And again, part of the things that that I didn't, um, that didn't resonate with me is that I, I thought that. Malekith was not a a villain that I cared about very much I didn't empathize with him very much he didn't say very much he didn't do very much Uh, you know I understood the 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 idea of you know where this is going to fit in in terms of Infinity War and the stones but uh, I I think that this was not necessarily one of the shining moments and again it's not necessarily the, the casting of Thor because I love Chris Hemsworth it maybe it was you know directorial choices but um, this was it was a little bit of a slow-moving film for me save for you know the Tom Hiddleston scenes and and you know a few uh bright points here and there
5: yep this is the bottom of my list uh there's no secret there but uh, i think i think what does it for me is uh, i'm kind of a movie buff so when outside like production things translate to the screen with the things that happen behind the scene with this film uh, in terms of directors and and certain actors actresses and how they relate to all that um when that translates to the screen of them not looking like they're giving their all it's noticeable in this Mm -hmm. film particular um and, and that kind of got to me. Is like I never bought into it. I think outside of the Infinity Stone implication of this film and maybe more solidifying Chris Hemsworth as Thor for me, um, I just I didn't like the film at all. You know, this film
2: is almost like the, the ex-girlfriend. Um, the, there was, there's a lot of it that you just, you didn't like. There was a few bright moments here and there. I, I think the, the mid-credit scene with the collector might have been one of the brightest parts of <laughs> Thor The Dark World. But fortunately, Marvel is able to come back with the most wonderful, sweetest, hottest, awesomest <laughs> girl on the planet. And her name is Captain America The Winter Soldier. Um yeah. <laughs> which came out next year with the following year. Um, I think for a lot of people this ranks very, very high on their list. I want to hear from you guys first in terms of your thoughts on cap and maybe Ray, since you are fully decked out in in <laughs> cap gear, I'm in my Spider-Man underoos, but you are in all of your cat <laughs> TMI all over the place. Give me your thoughts on the Russo brothers um, who I love so very much um, and what they do here in terms of post Avengers with captain America, winter soldier,
1: best superhero movie of all time. That's, that's what I'll say right out of the shoot Uh, mix of action. It's got political intrigue. It's got all of the spy stuff that I'm a big fan of. And people don't realize that that's in the history of cap with his relationship with shield over the years and the comic books. Um, you get wonderful character insights. Uh, the special effects are off the charts. I love the helicarriers, although we saw them uh, one of them before. Obviously, they made Batrock the Leaper cool. Who thought that would ever happen? I mean, come on. Um, I love the elevator scene um, where you know Cap sees what's happening and he he asks everybody, "Does anybody want to get off before we before we start?" Uh, the, the scenes between. Cap and Bucky combat, the hand-to-hand stuff, is some of the best I've seen. So, and 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 you know what? It's Captain America, so he gives uh, an inspirational speech to the <laughs> Shield agents, and I love the Falcon's response, It was something along the lines of, "Did you write that down, or did you just do it <laughs> off, the off the top of your head?" So, there is nothing to dislike about this film. If you haven't seen it, go see it, buy it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> For if I me- can. Oh,
4: go ahead on, Jesse. So, uh it was a couple movies ago where opening day became the norm for specifically me and my son. Um, you know, I didn't take him to see Iron Man 1, but by the time we got to uh, Avengers, it was you're sick today, son, you're not going. To- <laughs> <laughs>
2: to work. That's a good parenting right popcorn there. Right? For lunch. <laughs> now, I
4: don't know. No, I'm not I'm not condoning it. I'm not saying that that's the mark of a good parent or anything like that. You can make your own conclusions from, from there. But I'll tell you when we, we were sitting in that theater uh, for cap two and Dr. Zola mm-hmm. comes on the screen in the bunker. I, I I mean, that, that was like, we were elbowing each other. We were so excited uh, at, at, at that point. And uh, yeah, yep. it was just, it was, it was uh, such such a good movie from start to finish you you establish and you expand characters you you um you know you get to be a little bit wary of the black widow right you, you mm-hmm. know there's there's there there's some different things that uh that go on there um but you love uh, and, that, right? And, you love that. Oh, though. it's that, yeah, it, it's so it's, wonderful. That's her, right? It's, yeah. yeah. It, it, again, it's it's the next chapter. I, you know, and that, maybe that's just my perspective in, in in going in it. You know, the books the books that you read. Not every chapter is just tops the next. Some of them ha- have to develop. And and what you see here is that the world is much more complex now. It's it's a more complex world for Cap than what it was. Uh, in the first movie, right, uh, the good, good and evil was very, very uh, blatant in Cap One. Now it's there, there's some shades of gray in, in in Cap Two, and then you you put the complexity of his of his buddy Bucky, you, you know, being the Winter Soldier, and then, uh, how would you wrestle with that, you, you know? And I, it's, it, it's it's fascinating, fascinating story.
2: This is, I mean, this whole movie is a and uh, and you said it's it's nonstop from beginning to end. There's no downtime in this movie. But it's a relationship movie. It's a relationship of the change in the relationship between Cap and Black Widow, between Mm -hmm. Cap and himself, between Cap and and Shield. And you see that. And and look, I watched this movie last night actually, and actually went back and I watched the elevator scene again. And just those subtleties and, and you know, credit goes to there's that subtle change that sort of goes in on his face when he sees one of the guys sweating and he knows what's going down. And that was such a, 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 a small yet pivotal moment for the character himself and all the things that are going to evolve or devolve um, a, as it goes on. But the relationship between cap and, and everybody around him uh, was just so well done in this film.
3: To me, the thing that sets this movie apart from all of the other movies and no, Spoiler, this is my number one movie. So when we get there, I, you've already answered that question. If if you were watching the show, if you were watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on Tuesday night, uh, you saw an episode. It had some things with S.H.I.E.L.D., whatever. Somebody said, I got to go catch a boat. Then that was well. You saw him on the movies that Friday. And you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. And then Shield falls down and collapses, <laughs> and it's all filled with Hydra. And you're like, how is this going to affect my show? And so then you go to your show on Tuesday night, and everything is changed. Like I have been wanting that sort of uh, consistency, promotion, yeah. synergy, whatever you want a word you want to use. I've been wanting that in my movies since I was a little kid. And so when I saw that, I flipped out.
2: <laughs> this, this, that was great. Yep. I remember seeing the movie as well and going, oh my God, like it literally tied in to what I just saw and I couldn't wait for next Tuesday to see Absolutely. how it all played in together. And that, we, we haven't really seen that done and executed the same way intentionally or otherwise in terms of the, the TV, the movies, or, or even the Netflix series.
3: Absolutely.
5: Yeah, and I, I wish they would continue on it because I think it's a great concept of, you know, what, what better way to continue on? Oh, maybe they referenced something back. Well, now I've got to go watch the movie again just to make sure that I, I understand everything that just happened. uh, they've done it
3: they've done it to little bits of degrees i mean at some point uh nick fury's like oh i got this from a friend of mine and if you watch the show you know that colson gave him the thing and you know whatever so they've done it to small small amounts but nothing that big
2: this was huge i i just loved the you know the progression of because you know when we see that sort of naivete of Steve Rogers go away and all of a sudden he becomes so very suspect and it, it changes his path going forward. I, I think for me that was only eclipse, but you know, look, one of the things I love about these movies is that when the credits roll, like it's so not over, like so much of the good <laughs> stuff happens after the credits where we are, Introduced to um, Strucker and Quicksilver mm-hmm. and Scarlet Witch, and you know what's going on here. And again, again, that tie into you know what is really um, happening with Shield. Um, there was a little Easter egg where Stephen Strange was mentioned in here, and if you looked at the map mm-hmm. as they were um, getting the the uh, targeting the, everybody, targeting everybody, you saw some of those names. Banner was mentioned in there too. So, and I and look. It was not, he did not have a huge role, although it was pivotal. But when Gary Shanling goes to sit well and he whispers in his ear, hell, I'm like, oh, are you
3: kidding me? (laughs) Right, because you don't see it coming. Last time we saw Gary Shanling was in Iron Man 2 And like, okay, that's kind of a cool little <laughs> throwaway part Whatever And and he wasn't in the TV He wasn't in any of the other movies And so like, okay, they got Gary Shanling once And then you see him again And you're like, oh, cool They got, <gasps> he's Hydra? Oh my god <laughs>
2: And it was, and, and and Jesse, I'm with you. It's one of those moments that you look at the people you are sitting next to it, and you're like punching your kid in the arm. Like, oh my God, I can't believe we just said Hail Hydra. You know, and all I did for like three years after was whisper to people, Hail Hydra. <laughs> <laughs> the email I sent you guys today, at the, at the end of the email, it said hashtag Hail Hydra. So, um, yeah. yeah, this, um, you know, And one of the things about this is you leave Winter Soldier and you're like, wow, this is how can they possibly top this film? What are they going to do? Who are they going to introduce to us to eclipse this film? And just a few months later, we get Guardians of the Galaxy, where a lot of people who are not comic book nerds are going, Guardians of the what? Like, oh, I think this was the first time I went, oh, this is going to be the movie where Marvel takes a step back. I I don't know who these characters are. What's a Groot? Chris Pratt, like I didn't really know of him. Like He seemed to be a chubbier dude in the TV commercials (laughs) I saw. But I I didn't know what a Drax or a Star-Lord was. Um, I I knew a little bit about James Gunn. So again, there was that um, confidence there. But this for me was the... Marvel really knows what they're doing like none of us real as much as we didn't know about Iron Man we heard of him most people never heard of Guardians of the Galaxy before so do you guys remember right. going into this what your thoughts were you know in early 2014 before the film came out?
1: Uh, my, my initial thought was, what, the, the, you're going to have this this little animal, raccoon, <laughs> squirtle, what, what's going on here? I, I was just like, this is going to, I mean, I, my expectations were were not high going in.
5: but Especially when I said Bradley Cooper was going to do the voice. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know what? The, they broke the mold, right? I mean, they, they created something that none of us expected um, in terms of, well, quite frankly, everything about it. I mean, the quirky characters, the humor. But it was just this exuberant fun at, in a, with a great story and characters that going in, you were like, who or come on? And you cared about them. And that's critical to story. You know, they've done this throughout their, their total MC, throughout the MCU. You know, they, they understand that characters matter and people have to care for them. You don't have to like them. You know, it's always good that you like them. You can hate them too, but you have to care about them. And this was done beautifully.
2: Was and you're right. You cared about them very quick. You cared about characters you had never heard of before. <clears throat> Excuse yes, me. Right. Very, very quickly.
4: Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I went into that movie with no expectation. I didn't really know a whole lot about them. That was not uh, part of the read list at the time. Um, I had bought the rocket raccoon miniseries back in like 1986. I don't know what I ever did with that. But the, uh, the, the fact of the matter was, is that I was just amazed through it. And I'll tell you the other thing about that movie that really set it apart was the soundtrack. Yeah. And I, I, I think that that made it very, very memorable. <clears throat> um, you know, it it set it apart. And I, I would suggest that to me, that was the closest thing to a modern day star Wars. And, you know, you were introduced to a bunch of different, different characters Uh, and uh, you know, you had this odd bunch and somehow they managed to save, save the galaxy.
1: I would agree with that comparison. Absolutely.
2: I mean, praise doesn't get much higher than that, you know, putting guardians of the galaxy and star Wars in the same sentence.
1: And you're right about the music too. The music. I mean, how are, you know, people try right. Many movie, they, they try to get the, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but, You know, who doesn't have that soundtrack on, you know, wherever, iTunes or whatever? Who didn't walk out of the movie
2: and go on their phone and download the soundtrack like that that night and then listen to it? Oh, You know, my kids were begging every time we got in the car, picking them up from school. All they wanted to hear. I mean, that introduced look, my kid, my daughter's a vinyl record collector now because of and I blame (laughs) or thank Guardians of the Galaxy.
3: Yeah, I I had immediately bought the soundtrack before I hit my car.
5: Yep, this this movie is my son's favorite because of the soundtrack. He plays, uh was it coming, come and get your love every night when he goes to sleep, and I don't know why, but Groot and that song is, that does it for him.
2: And I think this film was arguably the perfect blend of story, action, character, and just the right amount of humor, which I think maybe Guardians Two may have sort of taken to you know another level, but. This, you know, uh, look, and for a long time, I didn't even like watching the beginning of the film. Like, my heart was breaking at the beginning. I'm like, what kind of movie am I sitting through? I a superhero movie. Um, you know, it was like a commercial for Deadpool. Like, you think you're getting a superhero movie, and it's really like this sad, touching love story, but you instantly cared about the self-proclaimed Star-Lord. And again, perfect casting, because... Star Lord was this this wonderful amalgam of, um, Mal Reynolds and Han Solo and Captain Kirk and you know there's this little rough edge about him but he's also funny and there's this subtle arrogance about him which again continues to grow and and as we saw the trailer for Infinity War I think I think he has some of the best lines um, in the Infinity War previews but. This film ranks incredibly high on, I think my and all of you are sort of shaking your heads, yes, um, very, very high on, um, on the list. Very much so. There was a lot of, um, and again, in terms of casting, there was a lot of chemistry I felt in this film too. You know, look, the same way that the Avengers were sort of accidentally thrown together all these characters were thrown together but they they made it work and they meshed and they meld and i didn't know what a groot was beforehand but everybody <laughs> all we wanted was a talking groot um you know or a little rocket raccoon when we were when we were done um but Speaking very, very about
3: Reynolds, did you did you catch the nathan philly and cameo
2: in that so go ahead and explain also first, quickly explain who Mal Reynolds was and and the Nathan Fillion okay, cameo. So uh
3: Firefly is was the Joss Whedon thing. Um James Gunn and, uh and the the head of the ship was a captain by Mal Reynolds. His name is the guy who played him was Nathan Fillion. Nathan Fillion and James Gunn are very good friends. Nathan Fillion had a cameo in the uh Guardians of the Galaxy if you remember the movie. Um uh, Groot sticks his fingers up some guy's nose. That's Nathan Schiller.
2: in makeup and in CG costume. The um the the next film yeah, well, chronologically. Can I, ask one, can I add one thing? I'm sure Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, no, no. Just
1: real quick. The the interesting point I think one of the interesting points about this is it it set the bar very high on the humor front, mm-hmm. and I think you know, as we get into other films, we can talk about whether the other ones came close to hitting it or not, but I thought it was, in terms of melding humor into a, a superhero movie, it was flawless, and it really did set the bar very high.
2: And and so to that point, which I think is a great segue to Avengers Age of Ultron, does the bar sometimes get so high that a good, entertaining movie suffers because of, of maybe when it was released, right? We've had... All of these films, we've had, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, and we've had these other, you know, huge movies like The Avengers. And then Age of Ultron comes again. It's a, Joss Whedon comes back. And I think this one, too, can sometimes be controversial because it was originally when it came out, it had a lot of wonderful critical acclaim. And I think the more sometimes people thought about it or watched it again, it started to get nitpicked a little bit in terms of what it was or wasn't what it wasn't um i thought james spader again as as ultron i don't really want to even say the voice of ultron again was a uh um a wonderful choice in terms of of his portrayal of that character um but so give me your your thoughts and, and then i'll share mine in terms of, of of age of ultron so Corey, why don't you go first
5: Uh, So for me, Ultron wasn't, uh, it's not on my top five. uh, And I would almost say it might not even be on my top 10, but um, I thought the film was entertaining. I thought going into it, I was expecting it to beat the original Avengers. And I think because of that, I was not as entertained as I walked out, but I do like that it was more grounded in reality of there are implications to the things that we're doing, um, you know, some of the decisions that I've made have now cost people's lives and cost um, irreparable damage to, to the thing that we're trying to accomplish. Uh, so that's, that's really what I walked away with.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I loved it. I, I think you're right about sometimes. Well, you know, we nerds—you can see how this happens mm-hmm. over the years. They tend to sometimes a movie comes out of the shoot and everybody loves it, and then all of a sudden, six months or a year later, they're they're nitpicking it to death, but. I thought Spader was wonderful. Um, uh, I thought that this, the idea, the, the, you know, what you mentioned, Corey, the uh, the idea of the consequences of our decisions, and you know what Tony Stark and Banner were doing. Uh, I thought that was all very, very interesting. Uh, I love the movie. I mean, certainly on the special effects and the action, and just some of the lines that that Ultron had. Um, I think. Could provoke all sorts of it did. our have all sorts of interesting discussions and, and talks, and I, and I don't think the movie gets enough credit for that, quite frankly.
5: I think this movie was scarier uh, in, for like a child's perspective, mm-hmm. but uh, like at the previews alone, playing the "I've Got No Strings on Me" and it's a female singing <laughs> it slow, and yeah, it, yeah, it's a little. No, I'm not taking my kid see.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I, I think for it to be the Avengers, you have to have some threat that requires all these superpowered people to get together right i mean that's that's what we had with avengers one if the aliens were going to invade new york city you're gonna need more than one guy um and i would just go back and i would say perhaps that's where thor 2 falters that if this is such a horrible thing why doesn't he have backup he knows these people right but when we get to avengers 2 to me it was it was um essentially a retelling of Avengers 1 because instead of Aven- or instead of Aliens, it's a bunch of robots, right? And, and what, how are the stakes raised from attacking New York? And I, 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 I don't know that I captured that. That being said, um, we did get some new characters. We did expand in that way. And uh, one of the things that I always enjoy doing on the way home from any of these team movies is debating who, who was the hero of the movie you know, that wouldn't have happened if whoever hadn't done whatever. And that's, you know, that, that was always the, the, the fun thing, uh, you know, to talk about was, well, mm-hmm. if this, then, then whoever. And, and I think that's what helps them blend so much. I, I enjoyed it. It probably is in my top 10. I, I, I didn't rank them all one to 18, but, uh, I, I did enjoy it. Although I probably enjoyed Avengers one a little better.
2: You know, I, I think it was a fun, I, I think this movie does a few, look, it, it's, it was a fun movie to watch, but I think it was almost more of a, a setup movie than anything else, right? So think about, you know, uh, Thor's nightmare in terms of how that hints at I- Infinity War. Um, think about how Tony Stark, you know, these feelings of guilt start to set up Civil War. Um <sighs> There was no one character for, you know, look, Hawkeye seemed to almost be, you know, the central character for a, a a good part of this film when he certainly was very much a almost a secondary Avenger in ones in the past. So I think it's more of a film that other films build upon as opposed to one that uh, maybe on its own might rank super high Uh, and again this is one I've heard you know people put it near the end and some people do have it in their top 10 but as we go forward um to 2015 because again we still have a bunch that I want to get to we talked about Guardians of the Galaxy being this standout breakout hit with characters that we really maybe didn't know about or had heard about and I think that's very much what the next film is because we sort of we know who Spider-Man is, did everybody really know who or what an Ant-Man was um uh, before this came out? What I did know that I loved and I keep coming back to this was the importance of casting. You want to talk about um a, a film where the casting of the main character with with Paul Rudd being Ant Man could make or break a film. Paul Rudd made this film, and, and this was, I think, one of the first films really that could sort of operate on its own as a standalone film, as opposed to being tied to any of the ones that came before it. And and certainly, you know, in terms of Civil War later on, but it wasn't a. I don't like. Um, uh, Uh, unlike Ultron was not a setup film this is one like like a Black Panther that can sort of sit and exist by itself
1: yeah I would agree with that I think it it was a a smaller film but I don't use that word as a negative
2: I I don't (laughs) pun intended pun intended it's a smaller I I do not mean that
1: as a negative it was a smaller film but it was it was a wonder I liked it it was a good story you know it it was a little, it was a different, it was different from the other films, you know, as was, you know, I've heard many people say, and they're right, it was a heist film, um, and uh, I, you know, I knew the Ant-Man character, but I could understand most people probably didn't, so they're coming into that wondering, and I think Paul Rudd was, was perfect uh, in that role.
3: Now, Ray, did you know the, um, the Scott Lang Ant-Man, or the Hank Pym? Well, the Hank Ant-Man. Pym is, Hank P- Pym
1: is my, yeah, is my traditional <laughs> okay. Ant-Man, <hand, right>, so. <laughs>
3: <laughs> what, what, what I appreciated for this was obviously Paul Rudd and then including both of those characters, including the Hank Pym character who sort of invented everything, but then giving it to Scott Lang, which is something from the comics and, and what little comics I have read, did reference that. And so that was kind of a cool little thing because you don't really want to go back and have Michael Douglas, you know, a young Michael Douglas, although we did see that in this movie. Um, you don't really want that. I know it worked really well
2: for me, and Luis is awesome. Well, and and I think you know because look if you if you look at this film, you know going back to um, uh, the villains, you, you know this was not necessarily a villain that you really hated all that much or heavily invested. This film rests solely on the shoulders of Paul Rudd. He is. Uh, he is a likable guy. He is incredibly charismatic. Um, you fall in love with him in terms of, you know, it. it is like a 70s, you know, late 60s, early 70s heist movie. But, you know, you love him because of his motivations and, and why he does what he does. And because I think he's also a relatable character. He's not a guy that was um, given any sort of incredible superpowers. He's got a pretty cool suit. And, you know, he's got some some cool tech uh, knowledge and things like that. But that he's not godlike superhuman or, you know, a, even a super soldier.
4: So he 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 was struggling to make ends meet. Right. He wanted to see his daughter. I mean, th- th- those are the motivations of it. And I thought that was a really interesting take on the character like Ray. Hank Pym is the the ant man that I grew up with. But, um, you know, Scott Lang was enjoyable. Um I would say this: we have the return of that theme of searching for the super soldier, or how do we do it? And that's the yellow jacket costume. That's that's what they're trying to get to. So I like how that, you know, was a tip of the cap. It wasn't the central, necessarily, the central part of what was going on. But um, if I could say one last thing about it, it's that Baskin Robbins always finds
2: out. Always finds out. And you know, look, and you're right. That was the the right amount of uh, humor in that film not just from from paul rudd but from the other characters as well i think it struck that that ideal balance Uh, and this is the is the one that closes out what is known as phase two and in may of 2016 we hit phase three we come back to you know come back to the well with the russo brothers and the third in the captain america trilogy which was captain america civil war this was that which was their second but again I think Civil War I have a personal reason why I love this film so much but again this was a wonderful balancing act of uh, of, of learning about and, and loving and, and getting a deeper relationship with the characters versus um, it being an action film look leading up to this and I remember watching some of the Kevin Feige press conferences and things that they were talking about and, and leaking. Um, it wasn't this, the originally Kevin Feige originally announced this as the serpent society film. And then like at the end of the presentation was like, Oh no, no, it's going to be civil war. But this was when, you know, uh, all the talk was going on in terms of Marvel trying to get back Spider-Man and, like I was literally, I had like a little shrine like in the corner of my office, like to get Kevin Feige and the Blessed Mother and Peter Parker. Like I was praying to whoever was going to pull it through. And I'm like, are we going to see Spider-Man? Like not just in this film, but are we going to see him in the the Marvel Cinematic Universe? And yes, I my Kevin Feige shrine still remains in the, the corner of my office because he was able to, um, make that happen. Um, this is a, another one too that I've seen ranked in people's top five. I've seen one where it doesn't break their top ten. Give me your thoughts uh, on on Captain America: Civil War.
1: Well, the Cap guy loved it. Um, <laughs> I, um, you know, I, I thought the 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 you know the the source of the Civil War. You know, the issue was fascinating. It was politics without being politics, meaning that you know, uh, you know, if you're a moviegoer, you don't want to deal with with what's going on now but it was a it was a political issue but it was one that kind of transcended time and place and um the the fight involved the the just you know the, the bucky aspect of it the winter soldier aspect of it was was fascinating uh, i think without giving it too, too much away with people that, that haven't seen it it was interesting you know there's a big scene where you know superheroes fight right and some people like that some people don't I thought that does not like that scene. Oh my god, the airport well, scene. I, I, I loved it, right? And I loved the humor and I, but there also was a certain you know, you kind of knew as a what is a uh I guess Scarlet Witch tells uh Hawkeye at one point you were pulling your punches <laughs> in that in that fight. And you knew that was kind of you had that feeling, right? But then you get to the battle at the end. And the reasons behind that, you know, why does why is Iron Man doing what he's doing right now? And that was really quite powerful. And I've had debates with my sons, for example, they don't buy into why Iron Man did what he did. And I said, yo, I, I buy into it. Think about what he saw on the film, you know what and what was revealed to him. So I think that was very, very powerful. My only complaint about this movie is I love the Baron Zemo character. And that was not Baron Zemo they should have given that guy another name. I'm sorry. They should have saved the real Baron Zemo for another movie. So
2: there you go. Right, because the the villain, you know, one thing this this movie lacks, and you can say maybe, Ray, that's going to conclude part one of our countdown to Avengers Infinity War. Stay tuned for part two next week because obviously we have more films to count down. We'll look at what we know, what we think we know, what we expect to see in Infinity War. And we're also going to talk about how this film and the films that preceded it, as well as those that might follow it, might affect the presence of Marvel in the Disney parks, not just domestically, but worldwide. In the meantime, I'd love for you to go to www.radio.com community, join our Facebook group, and be part of the conversation about Avengers Infinity War. Share what your favorite film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is. Let us know what you expect from Infinity War, and even play a little armchair Imagineer and tell us what you would like to see from and about Marvel characters and films in the Disney parks, not just Walt Disney World. And of course, if you like this episode, and I really hope that you do, please do me a favor and share this with your friends on your favorite Facebook group or page and invite them to not just listen to the show, but be part of the conversation and community.
0: Excelsior!
2: It's time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history, or see how well you pay attention to the details, sometimes in what you see, sometimes in what you hear, possibly in what you eat, and if you think you know the answer, you can enter via our online form for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, I took you over to one of my favorite classic attractions in one of my favorite lands in Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom. It is the Country Bear Jamboree in Frontierland. And your question was simple and about what you hear, which is the music. Because I asked you to tell me who sings Davy Crockett, the Ballad of Davy Crockett, in the Country Bear Jamboree. Thanks to the hundreds and hundreds of you, a lot of entries this week, who knew that the correct answer, answer was Henry, who also sings... The Bear Band Serenade, Fractured Folk Song, Mama Don't Whoop Little Buford, along with Wendell, Old Slewfoot, and then Come Again. So I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one, and again, you were playing from my 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World book, all seven of my virtual audio walking tours of the Magic Kingdom's history, details, and overlooked experiences and stories, all of which, by the way, still on sale for $10 at the WW Radio Shop, a WW Radio Magic Band cover, some stickers, a pop socket for your phone, and I'll also select for you a shirt from our WW Radio shirt collection. If you go to www.radio.com slash shirts, you'll see not just our collection of WW Radio logo shirts, but there's Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, pop culture, 80s, and lots more. Because you use the online form, I have your shirt size. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is Mark Patterson. So Mark, congratulations. I'll order your shirt get your prize package out here right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So we're going to stick with the superhero theme this week because if and when Marvel superheroes make their way to Walt Disney World, it's not going to be the first time we've seen, heard, both talking and singing, including songs like Santa Claus is Coming to Town right down the middle of Main Street USA and meet some true superheroes in the parks. Oh yeah, they dance too. In fact, back in the 90s, there's a hint, these heroes would show off their skills on stage, then meet fans before heading out in their custom van. So your question this week is to tell me, gosh, I'm giving you so many hints, what was the name of this, not another hint, not-so-human superhero team, along with one human counterpart, that you could once see and meet in Walt Disney World you have until Sunday April 15th to go to www.radio.com click on podcast this week's episode use the online entry form there again you're going to get the book all seven audio tours the magic band cover the stickers the pop socket and I will select a shirt from you for you from our collection so good luck and have fun here's another hint they love to eat like me That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in and geek out with us about Infinity War and the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe this week. Don't forget to be part of the conversation and community, it's really more like a family, by going to wwradiocom community. Thanks as always to all the members of the WW Radio Nation, including new members like Peter Brown, Danny Osmond, Marcus Val, Richard Begley, Jim Webb, and Michael Fenier. If you want to find out not only how you can help the show, but get monthly rewards, including scavenger hunts, we have a private Facebook group, personalized magic band covers, logo gear, T-shirts, group video calls, special events, and more, you can go to www.radio.com support, and don't forget that a portion of your contribution does go to our Dream Team project to benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America couple of quick reminders don't forget to join me every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern for WW Radio Live if you like the WW Radio page on Facebook which I hope you do at facebook.com slash WW Radio be sure and turn on notifications and see first so not only we get notified when I go live on Wednesdays but as I go live from the parks, other special events and a few things I have planned in the coming weeks that I know you're going to enjoy if you have a question you want me to answer on the show email me, lou at WWRadio.com or call the voicemail at 407-900-9391 that's 407-900-WDW1 with a question, a comment your thoughts about the Marvel Cinematic Universe and or Avengers Infinity War Of course, nothing beats a handshake and a hug. That's why I love the opportunity to meet you in person and do monthly meetups in Walt Disney World. Our next meet of the month is going to be Saturday, April 28th, which just happens to be opening weekend of Avengers Infinity War. There's a method to my madness. That's from 1.30 to 3 o'clock p.m. at the Backlot Express at Disney's Hollywood Studios near Star Tours. We could meet, eat, maybe even take a group ride on Star Tours. And that night, Saturday, April 28th, is opening weekend for Avengers Infinity War. Obviously, I cannot wait to see it, and I would love to go and see it with you. So after the meet, I am going to head to Disney Springs to the AMC Theater and see the 7.30 p.m. Saturday night, April 28th show in Auditorium 2. So if your spidey senses are tingling as much as mine are and you want to see just how big and bad this Thanos guy really is, and are curious where the final Infinity Stone is, please feel free to go to the AMC website or fandango.com and get your tickets to join us at the theater. And if you're coming, please go to wwradiocom community. There you'll see a post about uh, sort of a, a casual meetup at the theater for Infinity War. Just let me know that you're coming so I can keep an eye out for you. Get it? Sort of a subtle Nick Fury reference. I'll get an eye. Whatever. Hope to see you there. Also, please go to LouMangello.com, find out how I can help you turn what you love into what you do with some one-on-one or small group coaching. You can also find out how I can come to speak to your conference, to your business, or to your school, and also how you can join me in Walt Disney World for my Momentum Weekend Workshop this October 6th and 7th. I also have one seat left for my weekend retreat June 1st through the 3rd, also here at Walt Disney World. Again. Go to lumangelo.com to find out more. Thanks as always to Becky Mencken and the entire team over at Mouse Fan Travel. No matter where you're going in this world, or universe, or multiverse as it were, they can give you a free no-obligation quote with an incredible level of personal service, obviously over at mousefantravel.com. And if you go to celebrationspress.com, you can find out how you can subscribe and order back issues to Celebrations Magazine. And if you like the show, and I hope that you do, all I ask is that you please help spread the word. Let others know about it. That's how our family, that's how our community will grow. So share a link to this or your favorite episode over on Twitter or Facebook. And if you can, take just 30 seconds to rate and review the show over on iTunes. I want to thank some recent reviewers like Jagger Lips who says it's an exceptional, an example of how to do podcasts. It's by far the best podcast available today for somebody other than a paid or professional radio organization. The quality of the production is better than most of the NPR shows. And Lou, with his endless knowledge... Oh, endless might be a stretch. Of all things Disney, his sincere love of people, that's true, and wonderful humility... Oh, not humidity, humility. Get, us, get to enjoy the world of Disney. I'm going to leave it in there. From anywhere at any time. And although some episodes are long, like this one, they never turn into endless rambling by people that just want to hear themselves talk. I wish him many, many years of continued success. John Lucas says, It's a perfect way to make you feel like you're in Disney... Even when you live 16 hours away, WW Radio is as best as it can get. Death to Pop says, Love this podcast. I love Walt Disney World so much. And this wonderful podcast brings the magic and happiness of Disney into my home once a week. And Tom Granby says, Simply the best, all the way from the United Kingdom, says, Lou does a fantastic job of bringing the magic of the parks straight to your ears. The podcast is perfect for both first-time Disney park goers and well-established fans of the theme parks and resorts. From fun and informative top 10 lists to reviews of new and established attractions or restaurants inside the parks, Lou manages to keep you well informed on all that's happening in the world of Disney. Every episode is thoroughly entertaining and gives you that little bit of Disney magic that we all need to help the time before our next trip to the parks fly by. Not only is it the best Disney podcast, but it's also right up there with some of the best podcasts around, period. Thank you for everything you do, Lou. Thank you, Tom. And hearing your story is truly inspiring and has helped me push me towards achieving my own own dreams. I love it. I appreciate you, man. And if there's ever, ever anything I can do to help you, Tom, please let me know. Again, thank you so very much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. I hope you liked part one of our look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe as we count down to Infinity War. Again, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. And more importantly, I hope that this is your best week ever. And remember, you don't need superpowers or a super suit to be a hero and do super things. And while Uncle Ben, Peter Parker's uncle, not the Rice, was right that with great power does come great responsibility, I also think that Aunt May was right too when she said, I believe there's a hero in all of us that keeps us honest, gives us strength, and makes us noble." All you have to do is is be kind and encourage others and try and be better than you were yesterday and give without expectation of anything return. Just live a life with honor and integrity and respect and a life that you can look back on and be proud of. I hope that you truly have a super week this week. So until next time, see ya.
0: Good morning, Lou Mangiello. My name is Mike Cicero. I listen to the podcast regularly, and uh, the particular one that struck me was the emotional responses at Disney World, and um, I will try to uh, keep this as concise as possible, but Disney is a very special place to me. I went for the very first time in 2010 with some friends that were DVC members, didn't think I would really get it, and I've been maybe 35, 40 times since then, and obviously get it, love it. Um, my husband and I got engaged on at um, Top of the World Lounge during Wish It's Fireworks. Um, in 2016 and he just the emotional responses are, are literally endless there. It's the smell of the lobbies of the hotel. It's even the smells on the attractions. You know you're on Um, say, spaceship or earth, or even it's a small world, just by the smells, and that's pretty magical. But I think it's truly everything. It's the unbelievable attention to detail everywhere you look. Everything you see is beautiful and intentional, and every person there is, is kind and genuinely cares about your happiness and your experience. And I think the best emotional response is I leave sad, of course, but I leave wanting to be a better person. I want to be a better leader of my company. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better friend. I want to be a better example to the world of what being detail-oriented and striving for excellence really can mean. So it is truly a special place. Um, not everybody gets that, but those that do get it are truly – you know, they're truly changed by it and need to keep going back for that, you know, that refill of emotional fulfillment. So I love the show. I appreciate it. I appreciate that um, you took the opportunity to listen to this. And um, I mean from the bottom of my heart that Disney World is is a place like no other and brings me more joy than anywhere else on Earth. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
3: Hey, Lou, this is Stuart. Um, I am calling because I'm listening to your episode uh, 514 about the top 10 emotional experiences in the Walt Disney World Resort. And I wanted to um, tell you about something that recently happened to us and our family, although my daughter doesn't know about it just yet. Um, it's pretty amazing. And it involves that like, community thing that is so awesome. And it so so, we're planning our vacation, and my daughter's favorite character in the, in, at the time is um, Baynex, and she got a bunch of pre- pennies, and, and you might know this, press pennies at, at Walt Disney World are a huge deal, and so she was very excited. But then we did some research, and we realized that the only place you can get a pressed penny of Baymax is at Epcot. And we had decided months ago that Epcot wasn't going to be on our trip this time. And so we're about a month out, and we actually are about a month out, as I'm calling this right now. And um, I put a, a thing in the box, uh, a post in the box, saying if anybody's able to do this – um, you know would would you be willing? would you be able and and within twenty four hours I had somebody within twelve hours, I had somebody saying, "Yeah, we'll be there tomorrow um, within twenty four I had a picture of it in, in my in my inbox um, the So what gets me emotional about this and, and of course, she paid for it, and she's willing to send it to me and all of that so if you're listening, you know who you are, and I just want to again. Thank you very much. Um, personally, thank you. Uh, but that's the thing that I get from Disney and especially this community that you have built. You know, um, you like you've said you've built the you built the treehouse. We've populated it. It's amazing. Um, it, I have never been so a part of a group and community. So, what what I get emotional about? is this group and community. And yes, I realize that that's not necessarily the parks, but it is because we all have the same goal. We all have the same theme and we all have the same idealism um, that when we are a family, we are a group, we are a we, and that is awesome. So again, Thank you to you know who you are. I want to. I really do appreciate it. If you need anything, you have my number. Um, and as far as the group, uh, it, I'll be there in a month. If any of you need any pressed pennies, from you know, let me know. I'll be happy to return that favor. Absolutely happy to. Um, anyway, join the box, people. If you haven't, do it now. It's the it's it is family, and we will all go home. All right. Thanks.
6: Bye. Hi, Lou, it's Colleen Baca from Rochester, New York. I've been listening to your podcast for a couple of months now, and I was just tuning in to the Emotions podcast uh, about emotions with Walt Disney World, and I had to call in. A couple years ago, I was down in Disney with my extended family, there were about 16 of us, and I was waiting in line for Splash Mountain with my uncle and my cousin near Splash Mountain. Uh, We were waiting to meet Woody and Jesse, and, you know, in line, just talking to each other, we weren't really, you know, super aware of who else was in line with us, Um, and When we got up to the front, right in front of us, we realized that there was a little boy who was blind, and the interaction that Woody and Jesse had um, with this young boy, I mean, just stole my heart and really brings a tear to me every time I think about it. Uh, They were so, um, you know, warm and gentle with him, and just the thrill and excitement um, that you could see. For this little boy, he, you know, after
3: he touched Woody's face and realized who it was that he was meeting, I mean, it was just
6: incredible. And it's moments like these that really remind you how wonderful and special place Walt Disney World is, and it's exactly the reason why we all keep coming back. Thank you so much for all that you do, and I can't wait to
7: hear more from you. Hi, Lou. This is
6: Amy from Woodbridge, New Jersey, your old stomping ground. I'm calling in response to your emotional episode, um... That episode really spoke to my heart. I'm still listening to it, but I was a great movie ride tour guide for my first college program, and I have the load music from Movie Ride on my phone, and when I hear it come on, I still get all those butterflies in my stomach like I would before I did every show, and now it's also taking on a new emotion as in having sadness for loss of Movie Ride, but also happy memories.
7: Thanks. Have a great day. Bye. Hi, Lou. This is Steven Schmidt from Detroit,
3: Michigan.
6: I just got to listening to show number four, 514 Top 10 Emotional Experiences in Walt Disney World. Uh, one of mine is when you're on
0: Main Street USA and you're leaving the park for the last time and you're looking back at Cinderella Castle for the last time on your vacation and it's like I'm you're looking back at the castle thinking oh my god when am I gonna come back here not knowing when you're gonna be looking at that castle again
6: anyway Luke keep up the good work look forward to your next show bye
7: Hello, Lou Mangiello, it's Darlene Maggie from West Seneca, New York, calling in to say we have 42 days until my birthday trip down to Walt Disney World to meet up with a whole bunch of my Disney family. And then you have 69 days now until that Alaska cruise. The Disney Wonder is so phenomenal. You've got, for the adults, Crown and Fin Pub. You've got Tiana's Place for a rotational dining. You've got the Marvel Superhero Academy for kids. The Frozen, a musical spectacular, is probably going to be amazing. And then, for the adults also census spa for a massage or 50 baffity boutique to decorate those children up and then i have 71 days until the sternbergs and us go down to the world so yay you got a lot coming on everybody stay positive i love you all and have a wonderful day